This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Um, it is our usual end of the weekend, beginning of your week show. Um, although, if you're listening to this, uh, it'll probably be um, a Monday morning or afternoon, and you probably have off because it's uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Day. But hopefully you're still able to enjoy this podcast as much or more than you would normally do. Jeremy Cohen, you are indeed on the line. How are you, sir? I'm I'm doing all right. Yeah. Life's uh, good. Nice three day weekend. Yeah. And no, it's not bad. Can't complain on that front. We um we are watching KC Tennessee in real time. Um, although this is <laughs> this is gonna get interesting because the TV that I'm watching it on, as I could tell from how you were reacting to the fake punt that we just saw. Um, is my TV is about three seconds behind yours, so, so I will stifle any uh, any reaction, and I'll wait for you. Which we should do. probably do anyway, because I I don't think the listeners have tuned in to hear us react to a game that is going to have ended by the time um that they they hear this podcast. Well, we're branching out, you know, like we really are. We're trying, we're trying to extend the brand to the state of Tennessee and part <laughs> of Missouri. Um, so yeah. You know, you know, I, I actually think it's kind of a, um, an appropriate introduction to the conversation that we kind of have to have right now, and it's it's not it's not a conversation that I want to have. Um, but I don't I don't know I don't know how else to start this week's show. And uh, so the Titans started this year off uh, two and four, right? That's correct. I believe two and four. Oh, t- okay. You you stifled successfully because they just got a touchdown. I'm a man of my word. I did not say a peep as yeah. they scored that touchdown. I don't know who Ferkser is, but uh, there's a dirty joke to be made somewhere in there. Ferkser? I barely knew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Coming off the heels of the that's what she said in our text chain a moment ago. Anyway, <laughs> completely off the rails within two minutes here. Um, the Tennessee Titans started their year off two and four. Um, when they turned to their, uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it a journeyman because he only had one other stop backup quarterback. Um, um, you know, they won a few games. I'm sure there were a lot of fans that were upset that they maybe won a few games, take themselves out of position to, um, draft one of these quarterbacks that are, um, you know, going to be available in, uh, what I, my understanding is a pretty good top of the NFL draft. Um, and then they started winning games and won some more games. And, um, you know, I don't whether they end up losing this game, which it looks like they're going to do because they're still down, um, you know, more than one score. But whether that happens or not, I'm sure everybody in Tennessee is not complaining about how the season went. And if you think this is where I make a comparison to the Knicks and, hey, they just lost by three to the Sixers playing a bunch of veterans. <laughs> I fooled you because that's not what we're doing at all. Um, this is not we are not in a Tennessee Titans situation here in New York with these Knickerbockers. Um, and I'm going to uh, before I throw it to you, Jeremy, I'm just going to. um recite the tweet that I retweeted. So John Schmielk of WFAN, who I've gone on his podcast a few times and he's um, come on mine, I believe um, tweeted out last night, I guess just as the game was ending uh, in which the Knicks lost the Sixers by three points. 
I got to be honest, I just don't have any motivation to tweet analysis during these Knicks games anymore. We know what this group is, what the problems are, etc. Watching Peyton, Bullock, Randall, Morris, Portis, Gibson play these minutes does nothing for me. Zero. Just a waste. And um, I retweeted it and I basically doubled down and I said that, you know, it, it there was a problem where um, one a veteran who's on a one-year deal uh, that expires after the season, Marcus Morris, we've talked about him many times on this podcast, um, put up more shots than Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, and Frank Nilakina combined. Um, and the two other interesting young players, semi-interesting young players, mildly interesting young players on the Knicks roster did not get off the bench last night. Um, Iggy Brosdakis, Damian Dotson. Um, the Knicks are not the equivalent of a football team that is two and four. Um, they are 11 and 32. Um, they are bad. Um, and they have, they are a bad team that could beat some other bad teams occasionally, but they also get smoked um, by good teams. Most of the time, this is not, this is not turning around this year. This is not the NFL where a hot running back and a nice offensive line, maybe get a team on a run defense pulls it together. You find yourself in the championship game. No, 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 no. Jeremy, uh, where are we right now in Knicks land? Do you want to take the flashlight from me? Cause I'm yeah. yeah. We're in hell. This is, <laughs> Oh my God. You just I went tweeted right this, there. I, I retweeted the same thing with John uh, Schmelk and Honestly, I didn't even have motivation to add to anything. That he said. Nothing, is you, there anything to add? I mean, I put some some stats, but yeah, no. No, no. I mean, you, I think you did a great job. Basically, um, I look at this the, this Knicks team uh, having the potential of this past year's Miami Dolphins, just flat out. That's terrible, a great comp. And then have maybe like one or two great wins, uh, kind of like the the Patriots win, or I know they beat another good team. Ooh, um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Can Julius Randle be uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick in this example? Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm here for this all day <laughs> long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Going. So, you know, it's, um, I agree. There's no joy when I watch this team. Like, I watch this team because I love basketball and I love the Knicks. And I enjoy, you know, working with you and the team and, and uh, the team being the KFS team and following it. And it's just really, challenging because there's nothing fun to really watch when minutes are stifled. And I'm not the person who believes that everything should be youth, right? Just throwing guys out for 48 minutes doesn't do you any good. It's actually counterproductive. um, Exactly. I would would go so far as to say. Right. There's the law of diminishing returns. And yet at the same time, it's like when you look at last night's game, you think, okay, well, the Knicks didn't have RJ, uh, but the Sixers didn't have Embiid. And you're telling me that Almost the best iteration of this Knicks team, of course, aside from their number one draft, their you know their first overall, third overall number one draft pick, uh, who basically has been one of their best players, which says something. But of course, he's 19 years old. If that team can only come within three of the Sixers without Embiid uh, in New York, then that I mean I don't know if that's a poor reflection on the Knicks or and, and we should say the briefly the the the. I don't want to. I want you to keep going because I think you're you're about to make a really good point here. But like uh, Tom uh, Piccolo, who um, another friend of the pod, um, said at some point um, it was I forget what I have to find his tweet. Um, and I should have pulled it up beforehand. But it was just like a weird game. This wasn't the type of game where the Sixers came out like firing and the Knicks like took their punches and. Um, the whole thing, and it was just like a like an inspiring effort. Like that's that's not what this area. This game had a weird vibe. Feels like both teams are lackadaisical. Knicks haven't been executing well, but have hit enough shots to stay in it. Could really use some energy from the young guys right about now. This was, I guess, in the middle of the game. Like this, the game didn't have a feel of like wow. This veteran group, you know, I know, I know they're not the kids playing, but they really found something here. That that's did you feel that way watching last night's game? Because I certainly didn't. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, this whole season essentially sucks, right? I mean, in the sense of I, I went, I knew going into this season, um, it was not going to be fun. Uh, like I said, I've had them, I had them at twenty six wins, so my expectations were a little bit lower than maybe some other fans might have been. So personally, I, you know, I wasn't expecting much, and I still am not. Um, 
it feels like purgatory, and I feel like I've said that before, but realistically, this stretch that we're seeing right now until the trade deadline feels kind of like purgatory within purgatory. Uh, <laughs> it's like Inception, I'm, where yes. the, the dream within the dream, and exactly. the dream is us lying in bed um, yeah, and or, not doing um, anything. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I would imagine you've taken a plane in your lifetime before, right, John? I have. Okay. So, you know, when you get to the airport, you get through security. Um, you're on your way to your gate, yes. but find out that you have to actually get on a bus to take you to your plane. Oh, it's the worst. That is what I feel like right oh, now. Oh, we're on the bus. We're on the bus. We're not, no, no, we're not even on the bus. We haven't gotten on the bus. We're waiting for the we're bus. Waiting for we're the waiting bus for the to bus to take us to wait for the plane that is going to be on the tarmac because of delays. That's how it feels to me. Yes, and because... then the plane crashes, but continue. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Um, but then it's, it's kind of like uh... <laughs> now caught up in the idea of going down a fiery death um you'll be you'll be you'll be missing that tarmac uh when that's happening boy yeah, let yeah, me tell seriously. you um you know i mean we we talked about and you certainly wrote about the idea of how this is rock bottom and i think that this is rock bottom so far but i think there's a potential for it to get worse and that is of course uh if the knicks walk away from the deadline with these players, or at least most of these players, still on the team and the front office, essentially with their dicks in their hands, and being like, "Well, you know, like it's it, we we assessed it and it just didn't work out." And so I think yes, this is right now the worst it has been so far, and it just sucks because if we could sim through the next eight games, that'd be great. Um, a big concern of mine is actually that over the last 15 games or so if you look at the net ratings of the next eight opponents some of them are really good like you've got the lakers who i think were third and the raptors were fifth but then you've got two games against cleveland uh brooklyn's been abysmal like i'm, well, I'm they a little can win, they could win some of these exactly and that's my sure. worry that they're going to win enough games because if you're putting out your vets and and you're trying to win and you're just coming up short that says a lot about your team and how you constructed them of course but I don't see what you gain from playing these guys significant minutes, not not minutes, significant minutes, because really, what does this do to the trade value of the players that we're looking at? Right. So, well, uh, it's like what Morris, Portis, Ellington, Peyton, Gibson, Randall, Bullock. Right. We could say that those are the seven guys who are on big money contracts who are veterans and could potentially be traded out, you know, of course, from like low possibility to high possibility, but yeah. you'd agree that those are the seven, right? Yeah, but I uh, see, I know where you're going here, and this is where I'm going to disagree with you. I think all of these guys, their trade value pretty much is what it is. I can't imagine anybody... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, oh, I... I... What, I what I'm saying is that I don't think that their value gets, a, gets oh, effect whatsoever. The, the, well, the only thing that, in my opinion, it could really happen is get that hurt? these guys get injured. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They get hurt, and then, like we talked about with Morris a month ago, where it's like, when I wanted him to be gone, I know the market maybe didn't open up, but the risk of playing these guys 35 plus minutes, it wears you down. And it just, you know, if, if Marcus Morris can net you a potential future first and you're committed to doing that, and then he goes down with an injury, I mean, that's just, that's just rough. And of course it's, it's a part of the game, right? Anyone can get hurt at any time, but I look at a player like Bogey Cousins who played so many consecutive games. I think they had like Four out of five games they played were in eight days and he had overtime and he logged 40 plus minutes yeah. or yep. well above that. And, you know, I'm not trying to speak it into existence. It's just what happens if if these guys just wear themselves down and the Knicks see their assets just completely get devalued. And, and that's my chief concern. No pun intended, as we're watching uh, <laughs> the game. I like to throw that in there. But yeah, it's it's just it's a nightmare and it sucks to watch. And I can't I can't wait for it to be over in the deadline to be here already. Um, I have a couple of responses to that. But before I I get to them, um, a quick word from a new sponsor, actually, um, Simply Safe. So uh, Simply Safe is a home security system. It's like getting commercial grade enterprise level security. But for your own home, think about the security Fortune 500 uh, companies use. Uh, they need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. And this is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. I kind of want Simply Safe to come and guard the young players on the Knicks roster, lest this front office get a really itchy trigger figure. We put like Frank Nilakina and Mitchell Robinson behind some like protective glass, um, such that if like a, a burglar, aka a enterprising GM on another team, comes to 
um, steal them that you know we could maybe prevent that. So Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. Um, and that means police dispatch up to 350% faster for than a normal burglar alarm. That's actually really cool. Um, you get a comprehensive protection for your home, outdoor cameras, doorbells, uh, alerts, um, entry motion, glass break sensors. There you go. Put them behind the glass. The glass break sensor will will uh, help us here. Um, plus, they protect your phone from fire, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, it's all 24-7 by live security professionals. And you could set up the system for yourself with no tools needed. Uh, and here's the best part. It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. So go to simplysafe.com slash overtime today to get free shipping on your order plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. That is simply S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E, uh, simplysafe.com slash overtime to save on home security today, simplysafe.com slash overtime. Um, yeah, so I have a few reactions to everything you just said. One, um, know the scenario that you put forth is not the doomsday scenario. The doomsday scenario is that this front office finds a, um, a deal that they deem acceptable where one of the young players goes out um, in exchange for, you know, uh, a veteran. And, and I'm not even talking about like the haha, like really jokey doomsday scenario of like trading for DeMar DeRozan, for instance, which would be just comical. But like, again, and maybe we could touch on it later, like the Kyle Kuzma deal that I am still sem- not semi convinced, but because I don't think Dolan is signing off on anything now. But like, if they were a few wins better, I just I could have seen it happening just so so clearly. Um, that's one thing. Two, um, I the one thing I disagreed with a lot of people who responded to my tweet this morning was that they're like, this is all part of the plan. They're showcasing the veterans. I don't like I think at this point. Assuming that this front office is playing 4D checkers or sorry, 4D chess um, is giving them a little bit too much credit. Um, I just I don't think we've seen. And look, if if they end up trading a bunch of these guys and they get decent returns, fine. But for the reasons that you said before, everybody in the league knows what these guys is. They don't need to be sold. They don't need to be, you know, have their value inflated. I mean, everybody knows what Alfred Payton is. Everybody knows what like. Uh, Reggie Bullock is this uh, come on it is what it is at this point um and then the 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 last point is like and I I, this is kind of depressing but I don't know how else to say it (sighs) I I'm not saying that the team should ever make any decision based on what like fans want but like you're sitting there at home you said it like you don't really want to watch this team right now the way the way the, they're the lineups they're putting out there and the guys that they're playing, I I was watching last night and I'm like, this is like the least. I was so much more excited to watch this team last year when they were throwing out these god awful lineups, but they were lineups where you got to see the kids play, and that that's just not the case right now. And like the best argument for keeping a guy like Marcus Morris was that. He was holding the thing together. I made this very argument to you, I believe, a few weeks ago. Did I not, Jeremy? I believe so. Yeah, where I was like, you know, locker room's still in high spirits. They're 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 staying in games. He's making life easier for the kids. He's 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 him, you know, owning his responsibilities on defense is like, you know, makes them more confident in like owning theirs. Even if you believe some of those things are still true, which I actually kind of do. Um, I, like it's, it's overtaken by some of the negatives that are brought to the table by some of these other guys. And I don't want to call out guys specifically, but like, you know, Alfred Payton and Julius Randall, it's like, these are, you're just absolute classic, put a few things on the table guys, but they take a, a bunch more off the table. And that's the part that I guess is really bothering now, bothering me now is because if they're, and I, I think I said to, to John Schmielk a few weeks ago, I was like, I think they should keep Peyton on this team. He's organizing the offense. He's like getting other guys involved. You know, you live with the defensive inefficiency. And I think those scales have now tilted too far in the other direction. Um, 
it's like his defense is abysmal. When you have a point of attack defender like Peyton playing 30 minutes a night, which is like, I feel like what he's been playing like that just, it's a, it's a, it's a bad way to start off your defense. And we're seeing a lot of other bad stuff happen as a result of it. Like the scales have now tilted too far in the direction of Julius Randle, just getting a lot of action, a lot of shots, a lot of like the offense is moving through him. Like there is no scenario going forward where I see a successful version of this team that even remotely, remotely resembles the one we're seeing now where Julius Randle is like taking up this much of a lion's share of the offense. And it's like for all of these reasons, again, to go back to the example I started the show with, this isn't the Tennessee Titans this year where you make an adjustment here, a tweak there, put in a different quarterback, and it's like all of a sudden, oh, now we got a real NBA team on our hands. No, 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 no. There are th- like they tried this now. It's been 40, however many games. Again, it's 11 and 32. Like, I, I, we, what, like, I, like you said, the next eight games can't go fast enough. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. It's like watching a team that really isn't going to be here. And if it is, you hope to God they shouldn't be. No, but that's the thing is where it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah. And I don't, I just don't derive any pleasure from it. And I think you're, you're totally correct. And it's apathy, right? Like I just feel apathetic and I, there's so much more that I want to say, but I just don't care because I'm, I'm trying to give the, the front office the benefit of the doubt here. And yet past precedence tells me that's not really a feasible idea. Um, and so it's just waiting. Uh, it's, it's, it's really just, just simply waiting. But because honestly, I, I really feel like if the front office were were smarter, they would just own up to this shitty team and go from there and say, like, look, we can actually turn this cap space. And I know I know that you yourself are not necessarily a fan of thinking this way, but if you can at least sell to Dolan or sell to the fan base, well, we took Porzingis and everything else, blah, 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 and converted it into I'd say if Morris nets you a first round pick and if any of the other guys can get you even second round picks or do something, uh, it's just whatever it is. And and then kind of say, well, we're now focusing on developing the young players. We're all in, which, again, the team should have been all in in the first place. Right. Like we shouldn't decide at the trade deadline. That but it's developing. Can we say really quickly, I believe that the front office would tell you that their intentionality this season was to develop the young players by bringing in these vets, by putting them in an environment where they could win. And like to them, playing an average, like Knox going to get down to 20 minutes a game, Frank going down to, or whoever, you know, Mitch going down a few minutes a game would have been worth the trade off of them being a competitive team, feeling like their efforts were paying off, not only in stats, but in wins. That was the desire. It has just failed spectacularly. And now, instead of pivoting in the direction that I think you're about to talk about, they are pivoting in the wrong direction where it's like, okay, now we're going to play the kids less in an effort to try to get these wins. And all of a sudden, you have gone so far afoul of your original plan that it, it, it ceases to be a plan at all. So I just I wanted to just throw that in there. Yeah. I, you know, and again, it's like I understand adding vet presence. I don't I don't want this team to be in any shape or way or form like what Trey Young was complaining about with the Hawks, where it feels like there's just not any movement. I I want to see vets who can actually help the players. And I said at the beginning of the season that this Knicks team to me feels like one of the deepest teams in the NBA. But what I meant by that wasn't deep in terms of great talent that they could compete but more so that it's like there are a lot of players who could be in a rotation, maybe more in the back of the rotation, or at least one or two starting caliber guys uh, in Morris and Randall, and then other guys who could maybe see minutes on a good team. And and I still believe that. It's just the, the problem is that the Knicks have honestly made it worse too, I think, as a result of the front office, the coaching staff, and even the players themselves. Some of those players have gone down in value. Um. But that's why you know, it's, it's also like with the future, because and I've been thinking about this, too. Right. Um, if you took Frank Nielakina or Kevin Knox 
and you sold their if you if you traded them right now and looked at what their value is versus trading them back when it was the actual draft, you're looking at completely different stories, right? Like if you were to compare the two, someone would have much rather taken the picks than what the players are now. Oh, for sure. Right. So to me, that also screams you're terrible at development. So if you can't win and you can't develop, then what the fuck are you doing? Well, nothing. And and the again, we're constantly having two different conversations on this show without real. We sometimes we point it out. Sometimes we don't. There's the conversation about what would what should an ideal NBA team do in this scenario? What would be the smart NBA move to make in this scenario versus the other conversation is given the reality of the track record of the men making these decisions what should should we be rooting for something different than what a quote unquote smart NBA team would be doing? Um, and that's why, you know, somebody responded to one of my tweets last night or this morning with like this front office doesn't have a track record of development. We should trade our first round pick this year for oh, I forget. God. I forget who they I, no, I'm not. I'm serious. But but I know the, you're serious. That's <laughs> the worst part. No, but the fact that like the, the person who tweeted that, like I get where they're coming from. Like, that's not actually absurd if you if you were to assume that this front office would stay in place. It almost does make sense for them to. But of course, that's this is all absurd on its face, right? Oh, well, um, yeah. I mean, if you if you did it for future picks, that's long enough that you hope that they're gone. By but that that's point. not what they're. Yeah, that's not exactly. what of course they're saying this year's draft. I, I I see what they're saying. But then again, it's like if this draft isn't talented enough to really have much to begin with in terms of star talent and you get a starting caliber but player we, to begin with. Can we like hold on great. there for a second? Can we hold on there for one second? Because yeah. even the worst drafts, the absolute worst drafts you see good. I mean, and look, the classic example obviously is the Giannis draft, which had the worst first player taken in the history of the NBA draft and several other guys in the top 10 who, who did not work out. And um, maybe the great, maybe this generation's, you know, maybe maybe the heir to LeBron James, for all we know, taken with the 15th pick. It's and I'm, obviously that is a, a cherry picking example. But my larger point is, is even in the worst drafts, there are NBA players there. And there are guys who, yeah. even if they're only going to help your team when it gets good as a fifth, a fifth man or a sixth man or a seventh man, like. Like the bad teams, you like you, the classic example is the Nets, right, when they traded um their pick for Gerald Wallace, right? Um, because, and again, you could see their logic. We want to show Deron Williams that we're, we're about winning and we're about um, putting together a competitive roster right now. And we only see three plus NBA players in this draft or whatever it was, five. Or, and of course, they gave up the pick that turned into Damian Lillard. And it's like, is there a Damian Lillard in this draft? Probably, probably not. But like, is there someone who's the 85% of Damian like? This, these are not the conversations that we should be that we should be having. We should be having a conversations of, man, let's get a front office in here who can actually mine the these the talent that is here, um, and maybe do a trade down or maybe do a trade forward to another. It's like there's ways to make this productive. That's all I'm, yeah. I'm saying. I'm I'm in complete agreement. the The overarching theme is just distrust of the front office. If it starts at the top, I mean, yeah, we could. We could say Dolan in that case, but again, I, for all of Dolan's faults, I, I still see someone who actually cares and who is really trying to make the team better. He just doesn't know what works. Um, I think he's hopefully at the stage where he knows what will work is getting a big name, but someone who has more front office experience than Phil Jackson had, um, because he really hasn't tried that yet. And that's why we're seeing, or we've seen the Masai reports. Well, hold on. He kind of did. With David Griffin. Well, listen, say what you want about David Griffin. The man was had a track record and was respected um, when he was on the the plane ride to come and interview for this job, which he either didn't want because of the Timmy contract or because um, Dolan would not relent on having Steve Mills retain power or both. But that's the the thing I'm saying that that's the that has to be the difference now that. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't had someone who can be uh, president of basketball operations who has the front office experience to and the and also the, not just front office experience but just has the experience in developing and rebuilding um that's just something that never has really happened before and so i think that's the one key that would change everything of course you could say well i mean there's no guarantee that it it replicates itself and i think sure but 
it seems to me that hiring anyone from the outside who at least has some experience in this field is better than sticking with what we've got. And, you know, I mean, there's also, and I know you see it, a lot of people who say, well, fire Steve Mills and keep Scott Perry. But at this point, they're completely conjoined at the hip to me. They're the same front office. They make moves. They, they have the same conversations. They're bringing people in. There's no reason to fire one and keep the other. If they're both going to, I mean, maybe you can, you can, uh, you know, like move one within the organization. I could see something like if Mills were, you know, uh, relocated, quote unquote, or if Perry was just like, oh, but I don't, I don't see how one turns into the other or how people can get behind one, but not the other. It, Mills is more just the face of the franchise because he's in charge, but both are showing that their moves are crap. Um, it I'm just gonna, it feels like it feels like there's a vision with no plan, and uh, you know we we talk about it a lot, but or a plan with no as, vision, or is that, there, or yeah. is, is there a difference? I don't, know. I don't, I don't even know. But again, it's like, and we we keep talking about this, and it feels like until we know what they do on February sixth, we can't have a complete discussion. It feels like. They're failing, but it's an, it's incomplete. Um, well, but we're gonna, we know that what tried to accomplish has been bad so far. We're going to talk about February 6th in a second, and I'm going to make an analogy that might get me canceled. Um, but before that, uh, let's read one more ad. Uh, I'm very excited to read this one because I, I kind of make ads for The Athletic all throughout the week anyway when I'm retweeting Vorkanoff and insisting that everybody uh, read his stuff because he's so good. Um, but, uh, we'll do it in official capacity right now. Today's show is sponsored by the athletic, uh, uh as you know, yeah, exactly. A subscription based sports news site for real fans, uh, in-depth coverage from local writers on every team. Um, I could tell you all the great writers that, the, that the athletic has, but if you're listening to this, you probably are already aware of the only one who, as far as I'm concerned, you absolutely need to know about as a Nick fan. Um, and that's Mike Vorkanoff and you're only going to be able to read, read Vork stuff. Um, if you are subscribed to The Athletic, um, he had a piece that, you know, pissed some people off, but I'm really happy he wrote it because he got some quotes on the record about how players on this very team feel about the fact that the practice facility is located in Westchester. We don't have to get into that right now, but um, at the very least, this is this is the type of reporting that The Athletic does. They, they push the conversation forward. They make people upset, but they also... Um, you know, do it in a way that is productive and honest and um, I think very legitimate. And it's it's the best reporting that's out there today. No ads, pop ups or clickbait. It's just sport, great sports writing. Um, so it's it's really everything you want. Um, and see if I'm forgetting anything. Oh, yeah. Um, it's personalized sports covered, delivered coverage delivered to you. You get to customize and choose the content you care about. So if you want Knicks, Mets, and Rangers, you could set your settings so that you get, you know, only stories about those teams. It's uh it's one stop shopping for passionate sports fan. And obviously there's again no ads, no clickbait, just good content. Um most importantly, uh if you would like to take advantage of the athletic, uh what you're going to do is subscribe using theathletic.com backslash overtime so one more time that is theathletic.com backslash o-v-e-r-t-i-m-e and you are going to um, get a really nice discount um, of 40 percent for a yearly subscription 40 percent that's a big one that is a lot uh jeremy i'm sure you already subscribed to the athletic so i i won't i won't <laughs> Um, I, I have been for a while. It's, it's a, it, in all seriousness, it's, it's a, a great source of everything you could possibly want. Okay. Yeah. They do great work. Yeah, they do. Um, so, oh yeah. The thing that's going to get me canceled. Um, when, and I, you know, get a little personal for a second. My, my father had, uh, has had a couple of cancer scares in the last year. Um, when his doctors went to do surgery on him, um, they weren't like, let's try to cut out you know, let's try to skirt around the edges, you know, let's try to like, no, they went in and they took out every possible part of the area of his, uh, within his body that could even maybe be, you know, tainted when you are in a situation like the Knicks are in, and I'm not calling the guys running this team cancerous. And I don't, you know, I don't want somebody to think that I'm implying that. But I, what I am very strongly not implying is I'm actually going in and saying is this is broken. It's broken at this point. Um, 
And I don't know that we can point to any evidence suggesting that it isn't broken. So this isn't a situation where you like keep the good and dispense with the bad. No, no, no. You go in and you cut out the entire section that could potentially be tainted. And I just, I don't know how you like start picking and choose as well. I want to keep this front office person. I want to maybe just dispense with this front office person. No, like you have to start from scratch and you have to bring in someone who's going to have full autonomy. And I know we keep, we've thrown around that phrase a lot um, and just let them make the decisions. And you know what? If that person wants to retain Alan Houston, or if that person wants to retain, you know, part of the coaching staff, like Caleb Canales, in my opinion, Caleb Canales should be on the, the Knicks coaching staff for the, till the end of time. That guy's positivity is like, you have to see it to believe it. But like, again, that is a decision that should be left to whoever comes in and shapes this team from this point forward. Um, do you, do you disagree with that sentiment at all, Jeremy? No, I mean, I was just calling for both guys to be gone. And I think, by extension, that would be everyone who they brought in. It's so hard for us to see what goes on behind closed doors, which is why a lot of times I myself am try to stay patient if I can. Um, but you know, I and I did. I through this summer, I I was overall somewhat pleased, and I soon realized no, I the thoughts that I had were actually wrong. Yeah. Um, I didn't Same think here. that it was going to be a great team, but I thought it was going to be better, and we're seeing so many moves kind of blow up in their faces that it's like, well, how many, how many next chances does this organization get? Right. How many times do we have to keep saying that the plans are going accordingly and, and it's being built the right way. And the can just feels like it gets kicked down the road every season. And that's, I still go back to this feeling of how the one thing that Dolan knows this team needs is something to talk about and something talking about positively. There has to be some sort of acquisition of positive press. And if you run it back next year, you're, there's really nothing to boast about. I mean, even with this draft class, right? I feel like um, that just in terms of getting fans excited, getting the first pick, sure. But purely from a, an excitement standpoint, wouldn't you have to say it would need to be Lonzo Ball? And I'm not I'm not advocating or excuse me, um, Lamella Ball. I'm not advocating for Lamella to be drafted. Um, I, I'm, I'm very indifferent on the situation because I, I there's a lot more I need to watch as we get closer to I, the I draft. Just, I actually just got done digesting uh, Spencer Perlman's uh, yet to be released. I got a sneak preview of his um, ball uh, five page like uh, dis, uh, treaties on on his game. And um, he's exciting. He's definitely exciting, but he's I'm not sold on him as a like a, a guy who's going to come in and like change what ails this team, especially when I read about some of his warts, like uh, lazy off-ball defense or dis- unaware off-ball defense, um, a guy who like dances a little bit too much around the perimeter, doesn't get to the rim uh, as much, is like kind of, maybe not, you know, he, he's there's some things that he's great at, but there's also things that he's not good at. So, yeah. Anyway. But I mean, purely in terms of stardom, it seems like yeah, that's the one thing that... that or Anthony would- Edwards, I don't know, one of those two. Right. And when you subtract a, a star player, whatever people may feel about him in Kristaps Porzingis, he still has that that star uh, appeal. And if you take that away and replace it with nothing, then that's that's a really hard thing to sell to your stakeholders. And so that's why I still have this belief. Maybe it's foolish. Maybe it's far too optimistic. But just something deep down tells me that Dolan knows there needs to be something to get fans into the seats. And the worst part is that fans are going to get into the seats anyway because it is New York. There are going to be so many tourists and just casual fans and even diehard fans who are going to attend. But I think that there needs to be more in terms of perception. And that's why I still feel like he he looks at this team and looks at the front office and what the front office has built. And I just I just think he goes big game hunting. But for an executive. Right, for an executive. And then... Well, that's fine. Stuff. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, as we were just talking about this, to go on a very brief tangent, in terms of the uh, commuting, and I know a lot of people have certainly joked around about that and how, you know, like the average everyday person commutes. If that's really that big of a detractor in terms of acquiring free agents, yeah, you can make an argument, well, they should build elsewhere. Of course, you then come to the issue of like where they could build in terms of 
how much they're willing to spend, if it's even which possible. Is a, which is a separate issue and it's a very right. real issue. But if anything, to me, it screams, then you should just focus on building through the draft and through the trade market. Because if players are under contract, they don't have a, they don't have a say. Like if 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 it was oh, really that important with for the commute, sure. yeah, right. no, I, I it just, just highlights how much how important it is, and of course the team keeps their draft picks, but if you're not developing stars that way, or if you're trading them and looking for more, but then you can't really build with that because you feel like four quarters is more than a dollar, and while they're the same in economic terms, they're not necessarily the same in basketball terms. It just it's even more of a reason to go, you know, out with the old, in with the new. I, we're saying the same thing. And yeah, I no, no, no. I don't. I don't disagree just, with you. And I, I mean, look, it's just another reason. Like, build your team, build your team the right way. Invest in the things that you're supposed to be investing in. Um, you know, I'm I, just, feel like, I feel like if you were to say to someone, and maybe there are people listening who really do feel this way, and if that, I, I completely understand. But if you said to someone, "What has, what have Steve Mills and Scott Perry done really well right now?" Oh, I don't know that we could. I mean, they drafted Mitchell Robinson. That's the um, one thing that really comes to my mind yeah. that I can think about that you can say they did this. I mean, it's it's basically what I tried to highlight as well. In the and article, the, and there's things there's that the they didn't do terrible. wrong also. Right, exactly. What yeah. what has over what good has overshadowed the bad? And yeah. really it's yeah, uh right. it's just like drafting projects kind of gives you that that peace and peace of mind of being patient. But at what point do we stop saying he's only 20, he's only 21 and start thinking like, well, what might he not but be it, it's, without it being too pessimistic? So that's where I immediately go on to thinking about the reason why the he's only 19, he's only 20, he's only 21 feels incredibly hollow with this team is because at this point, I think we have to question. I mean, I don't know how we don't. Um, we have to question whether or not development is happening in the way that it needs to happen with this franchise. I, I I wrote about it in very strong fashion. I think it was a week or so ago um, where I quoted the line that Steve Mills said at the Scott Perry introductory presser two and a half years ago, exactly two and a half years ago to the day. I think it was this past Tuesday in which he spoke on and on and on about development and how development was going to be the tent pole of the organization. And that is not a, a that is not a pool of water you dip your toe in. That is not a, a pool of water you go in ankle deep or even up to your waist. You have to dive in. And I feel like this organization um, tried to have their cake and eat it too, especially with the moves that they made this summer. We gave them the benefit of the doubt. And again, all that's happening right now is the, the chickens have come home to roost and we're seeing all of the ways that this is going really, really poorly um, as some of these one-year guys maybe aren't paying as much attention to the things that they should be. I guess to to finish up, um, the the thing that I ju- I want to get out here really quickly. The reason I was hedging before on the Marcus Morris thing, which I know is absurd to a lot of people, that I'm even going to suggest what I'm suggesting, including you. <laughs> I'm curious what your response is. If you told me that this front office was going to trade off Julius Randall and Alfred Payton for Essentially, and Bobby Portis, uh, please get Bobby Portis as far away from my team as possible um, for for literally whatever they could get. You know, I don't a couple of second rounders, maybe Julius Nets a protected first down the line from some team that feels like he could be the sixth man that wins them a playoff round, whatever. If you told me all those things, I would actually be completely and totally fine with them keeping Marcus Morris. Because it goes back to the conversation you started to have earlier, which is about the the finding that proper balance between um, throwing all the kids out there and rolling the ball and being like, okay, here go, and what we saw last night. And it, it's at least an effort to, again, get the right guys around the kids. And I think everybody still believes that Marcus Morris is a guy that is beneficial to have in your organization and in your locker room, and by the way, on the court. And like, if you told me that I was going to get to watch the next 39 games and it was going to be the kids plus shooting plus Marcus Morris, like, gosh, that would be so much more enticing than what I feel like we're about to, you know, do you see where at least I'm coming from on that one? Yeah, I do. Um, 
and I'm not even saying I'm not even saying I'm right. And I, I acknowledge right. that this is a, a devil's advocate position, but I, I just wanted to take you through my thinking on that. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it from that perspective is um, you are finding the right balance in terms of players you are trading and not. Um, does Marcus Morris make the players around him better? I think you could you could certainly argue that he does. Well, let me t- can um, I just add one really quick thing. Uh, yeah, um, go right ahead. After the I, and again, I, this is where I could use my, you know, si.com uh, privileges to to inform our conversation. You know, being in that locker room after the, the loss to the Suns, the whatever that was, ended up being a twenty eight point loss, I think, at home. Um, like there were, you know, RJ was pissed because he was on fucking crutches, but there was one guy who I and and I didn't see everybody in the locker room. Did not see everybody. Well, no, let me rephrase this. There were two guys. There were two guys who I would define as pissed by their mannerisms, by their just their aura that was emitting from them. And it was Taj Gibson and it was Marcus Morris. And Taj didn't get interviewed after the game because I looked at him and I thought of going up to him and asking him a question. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let that dude be. That's how that's the vibe that was emitting from Taj Gibson. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, no, I, I believe I, it. And and then the more Marcus Morris obviously was the one who had the choice words where he was asked about, well, it's you know, is the a lot of new guys excuse still valid? And he said twice, fuck that. Um, and that wasn't fake pissed. Marcus Morris was like he was pissed pissed. And that's kind of that to me is far more important than whether or not he's making the proper defensive rotation or whether or not he's like drawing a double team and getting, you know, RJ a better lane to the rim. Like that's the reason why, because then if you move him and he's the only one you move and you keep fucking Randall and Peyton and Portis, who had a fucking smile. I mean, I, I, I hate, I feel bad calling him out, but like, I walked in and I saw Bobby Portis after in the locker room after the game. And you, if you would have asked me, did the Knicks win or lose the game based on, and uh, that was the only thing I was seeing, I wouldn't have known. Um, no, and I, I feel bad, no, I, I, but I, that's, it's just the reality. And and if you're going to then entrust the locker room to those guys, like, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of disgusting. So I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's, um, it's, it's hard to separate assets and like, you know, is a first round pick worth, the players around Marcus Morris getting better. Yeah, depends on, on who's on making surface, it. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's it's worth it to trade him. Um, I think if you're also looking at leadership and if that's your chief concern, I think it's re- it's replaceable. Um, not to say that it's not important what Marcus Morris brings to the table, but if you want guys to have that fire in their belly who really care about losing and who have that urge to do anything they can to sacrifice it all on the floor – I'm of the belief that if there's an open roster spot, you can certainly find that. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you, one of the biggest Lance Thomas supporters of all time, yeah. that if you were to trade Marcus Morris, and purely hypothetical, right? If you had that spot and that void of veteran leadership and you've traded out some other guys and you're looking to bring someone back, I mean, if if that's really what you're looking for, and, and of course there's a big difference between Lance Thomas and Marcus Morris in terms of talent, um, because you want your young guys to play around talent, but we're looking at 30 games, right? It's a 30 game sample size and there's a huge drop up between Marcus Morris and Lance Thomas, but yeah. that type of archetype, right? Like, not even, it doesn't even have to be Lance Thomas. It could even be Jeff Green if he wanted to be, but, but someone who, uh, but, who's a veteran. Who but Taj, but that's Taj. Taj is already right. here. And, and really to torpedo my own point, I think the reason why we're, we're dancing around in circles here is this is, I don't even think this is a locker room accountability thing. This is an organizational accountability problem. And that's why I use the cutting out the cancer analogy before. This is an organization. I I really do strongly feel like there is a lack of organizational accountability that does seep into, um, that does seep into the locker room. And it's, and, and again, it's why it's really not fair of me to place the blame on like Bobby Portis or Julius Randall or Alfred Payton. It's not fair. Because if you put those guys in a in in I'm trying to think of like a good like Utah's locker room, you took one of them and you dropped them in the Jazz locker room. Something tells me they would like shape up, you know. But yeah, it's, it's a culture thing. It's, it's, it's not, absolutely it's not, a culture it's thing. Not it's not just the players themselves. I mean, that is a that is an important factor. Right? And we make We've fun of that word, but it is it's it's a it's a there's a reason everybody talks about it and writes about it and whatnot. Yeah, 
Uh, goodness. This is depressing. Yeah. I, the only thing that can really get better is if there's a successful trade deadline. Other than that, it's, it's kind of just like, okay, well, we got 35 games. Let's just hope they go by. And it's a shame that it even has to be that because I would rather just like you, I would rather just watch the kids. I would enjoy seeing something like last year where it's just sending them out and seeing how they do because I'm so tired of watching players who likely won't be here. Yeah. Um, I know I'm, I'm like, I was, we were going to end the show by talking about like, what are the ideal, you know, moves that they, the organization could do between now and the trade deadline that would make this like more palatable. And it's like, honestly, you know, you would have to tell me that like Dolan would wake up tomorrow and be like, all right, everybody get out. Um, you know, Allen, uh, Allen Houston, you know, shepherd, shepherd us through the trade deadline. Um, you know, trade off some of the trade off your Randalls, your Paytons, your your Portis, and somehow try to set in the mentality into the locker room. Like, yeah, your next boss isn't here yet, but like, what whatever happens with this organization from this point forward, you guys right now you're going to be building it. So you know, take those steps seriously. Like, I don't know that it would yield anything positive, but like, if you're asking me, like, what would my possible good scenario b it would be something like that um i wouldn't even care what we get back for those guys i just i just there needs to be, it's it, there needs to be a shift i i just i don't know how else to put it that's a, yeah. all right anything else jeremy before we get out of here no no i uh i think that's enough that's <laughs> i think we i think we did enough of a number on on all this now watch them go out and like uh, win every game this week in convincing fashion and, and become play, the Tennessee Titans and to play and all, yeah, circle and play the young players as they're doing it. Um, and then there's going to be, Hey, listen, I'd never be so happy as to have egg on my face as, as if that was uh, here, you know what? We're going to end on a positive note. We're about to watch the San Francisco 49ers play host the NFC championship game and be seven and a half point favorites in that game on, um, in July, uh, Yes. No, January. No. Yeah. January of 2017. Um, John Lynch was named the GM of the San Francisco 49ers. They were in football hell, you could argue. Um, and eight months, nine months later, 10 months later, when did he trade for Jimmy G handsome Jimmy? Um, yeah. 10 months later, he, he got traded, uh, from the Pats to the Niners. And, um, I forget when they hired Shanahan as the coach, but it like, doesn't have to take that long and it doesn't have to be like this miraculous thing. It could happen quick in any sport, including the NBA. I truly believe that. So as bad as we're all feeling right now, you know, you never know. Crazier shit happen. All right, Jeremy, thank you very much. You are the man for, for getting, going through these uh, exercises <laughs> in futility with me. Uh, Likewise. We'll, yeah. We'll see everybody uh, soon. I have a very special guest coming on the pod tomorrow. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, enjoy your week. Video.